A major abortion case is headed up to the Supreme Court. And you know what that means? That means that we are about to get months and months of the most vicious and dishonest arguments that the left can possibly muster. First up, former U.S. Senator and current hysterical crone, Claire McCaskill. This um, may end up being the situation that is often described as the dog catching the bus. And what happens in America in terms of the political climate, if in fact this court overturns decades of precedent and fails to protect women's reproductive freedoms um, via this Mississippi case. And, you know, I got to tell you, Nicole, I don't think younger voters remember what it was like before Roe v. Wade. I don't think they realize that these folks are not going to be happy until a rape victim is put in prison for taking the morning after pill. Uh, That's the road they're going down. That's the road they've been trying to go down for a long time, even though they are really pushing provisions that are widely rejected by the vast majority of Americans. That's the road. That's the road we're going down, right? Uh, the jig's up, guys, all you pro-lifers out there. For decades, I felt we made a you know, fairly persuasive argument that we wanted to prevent babies from being butchered in the womb. Uh, but I think we need to just be honest here. This is really just about throwing rape victims in jail for taking the morning after. Isn't that, well, that's not what we want? Are you sure? It's, that's just a very, very dishonest and ridiculous way to put it. Got it. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday from Skidmark, who says masks are perfect because they allow you to transition seamlessly from protecting society to burning it down. That's true. Very few other tools allow you to be a a wonderful hero who saves grandma from the cough, but then also to become a social justice warrior stealing Nike sneakers and Gucci handbags for racial progress or whatever you're doing. That uh, sort of thing, it does not help me sleep easy at night. It does not when I think of all the craziness going on out there. You know what does help me sleep easy? My pillow. My pillow. And actually speaking of the masks, the mask that I wore for most of the 2020 when we had to wear masks to go into places was from my pillow. It was made out of the pillow cases and it actually felt absolutely fabulous. You know how much I love my pillow. It's my favorite part of going to bed. I go, my wife and I fight over are my pillows. Well, they've done it again with my slippers. The slippers took over two years to develop. They're designed to wear indoors and outdoors all day long. The my slippers are made with my pillow foam and impact gel to help prevent fatigue, made with quality leather suede. The whole family is going to want them. Head on over to mypillow.com, click on the radio listeners square and use promo code dailywire. You will also get deep discounts on all my pillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets, the my pillow mattress topper and my pillow towel sets. Or you can call 800-951-7163 and use promo code DAILYWIRE. Y- you know that we all love my pillow because of the politics, because they're pretty conservative. Even if they were communists, I would. <laughs> I would. I'd buy their products. They're that good. Go to MyPillow.com right now or you can call 800-951-7163. I love Claire McCaskill's just open lines. She goes, huh, you know, I don't think young voters remember what it was like before Roe v. Wade. What was it like? You mean how babies, in in most states at least, babies were not allowed to be just butchered whenever? Because that seems 
perfectly fine. That seems better than the situation we have now. Well, no, what she's implying, she won't use the number, but what she's implying is that thousands of women were killed in back alley abortions. This was a, a canard pushed by the abortion industry. And it's just completely ridiculous. You can look at the, the Bureau of Justice statistics. <laughs> you, can, you can look at the federal government. Uh, the number of women who were killed in illegal abortions the year before Roe versus Wade, fewer than 40. And by the way, there were, there were a similar number of women killed from legal abortions. And actually, when you look at the number of states in which abortion was legal and illegal, the rate of mortality from those abortions was basically the same from legal and illegal abortions. It was very, very few women. So that line goes out the window. Well, this is about punishing rape victims. I don't see any laws suggesting we should punish rape victims. I see laws saying we should outlaw abortion and that there should be punishments for abortionists, as there obviously should be. Why is this coming up now? Because there is a Mississippi law that would ban abortions after, what is it, 15 weeks? So is it, that's not even that crazy. I mean, that's it's a, still a lot of time. But now it's winding its way up to the Supreme Court. Supreme Court, by the way, which is almost certain to disappoint. Supreme Court had the chance to undo Roe versus Wade in Planned Parenthood v. Casey, which is a case I talk about at some length in my upcoming book, Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds, available now for pre-order, and they didn't do it. And then we keep adding judges. We keep, oh, now we've got a 6-3 conservative court. Is it going to matter? I doubt it. I doubt it. I don't think they're going to do anything about it. But that doesn't matter. Obviously, the abortion issue itself, we could spend a very long time talking about, and perhaps we will as, as this court case gets closer. But what I want to focus in on here are just the ridiculous arguments, because I like to think that I'm, I'm fair. I'm, I like to think that pro-lifers generally are fair to the pro-abortion argument. I think the pro-abortion argument is that men and women are different, and women can get pregnant, and men can't get pregnant. Although, actually, you're not allowed to say that anymore, and a Spanish politician got in trouble for saying that. We'll get, we'll get into that in just a moment. Uh, but the argument is men can't get pregnant, women can. If you want to have actual equality between the sexes, then you need to give women the legal right to no longer be pregnant, to terminate a pregnancy. And terminating a pregnancy means killing a little baby, and that's pretty ghastly. But the pro-abortion people will say it is better for women to have that autonomy and that individual liberty. It's really licensed, but they call it liberty. Then, then it is to protect the babies. I think that's the argument. And Naomi Wolf, at the time she was a leftist feminist. Now I guess she's kind of moving a little bit more conservative, but for a very long time she was a prominent leftist feminist. Naomi Wolf said, "Yes, that's the argument. We need to recognize that the fetus is human, and and in all of its humanity, we have to kill it if we want to have sex equality." Okay. Yeah, I get it. I get that. It's a ghastly argument. I don't think it's persuasive. And I think it's why the left won't ever make that argument outright. They have to use phrases like reproductive rights. No one's attacking women's reproductive rights. We're attacking their, their anti-reproductive rights. <laughs> We're attacking their, their rights to stop the process of reproduction, namely to kill the baby. That's, that's the right word because we recognize that the baby's right to life supersedes the woman's right to kill the baby or the abortionist's right to kill the baby or the abortion industry's right to kill the baby. That's the issue here. But because the left can't make that argument, and if, if you think there's a fairer argument for abortion, please bring it to me, send it in. I'd be happy to take it up on the show. But because there isn't one, the left just has to make these disingenuous arguments. So 
Claire McCaskill says, you know, all these women were killed before Roe v. Wade, just complete lie. And that, you know, we want to punish rape victims or something, obviously complete lie. Chris Cuomo takes it from the rape angle onto the race angle. He says that pro-lifers somehow are motivated by racism. You would think we would have impaneled experts on a special commission by now to see what the science says, right? But we don't seem to have the intellectual curiosity about this issue because it's not really about science. It has become a culture war. It's a political lever to use as a distraction from policy and solving problems to allow people to get up in their religion and their righteousness over any sense of what science suggests. But again, it's not about science or consensus. It's about dividing lines, legislating to the far right white fright vote, flooding the zone with 536 bills that abridge a woman's right to control her own body in 46 states. It's just like voting rights in one way. Why are all leftists slam poets? Why do they, the far right white fright vote. Wow. That was great, Chris. Or, or Anthony Kennedy and in, in actually on the same issue in Planned Parenthood v. Casey, people have the right to define their own conception of existence, the sweet mystery of life. And then actually the same Justice Kennedy in the Obergefell decision, we have a right to intimacy. What are you talking about, dude? So no, what Chris Cuomo says here is he says, get your religion out of this. We need to find out what science says. All hail the great God's science. This issue isn't being discussed in a scientific way with the experts. You're right, because your stupid religion <laughs> isn't going to decide this for us either. And your experts, your high priests of scientism, uh, don't have any right to, to do that. We, we, of course, should not impanel experts to decide a fundamental question of our politics. We have, we have self-government, at least we have the the appearance of self-government, the facade of self-government. We actually have technocratic secular progressivism, but according to the constitution, we're supposed to have self-government. And in self-government, you don't just impanel experts to go to the oracle of science at Delphi and have them tell you what, what uh, you're supposed to do on the question of life. It isn't a scientific question. We know the science. We know that a baby's a baby, dum dumb. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know how else to put it. I'm sorry to be insulting, but that, it, it's not a complicated scientific question. But having settled the science, I'm willing to go even further left maybe than Chris Cuomo will admit. We know the science is the baby's a baby, but there is a political question. Should you be able to kill the baby for some conception of sex equality? Should, as Naomi Wolf says, should you be able to kill the baby in all his humanity to make women appear to be more like men? Because women can get pregnant and men can't. I don't think you should. But even if Chris Cuomo does think that you should, that's not a, that's not a scientific question in, in this very narrow sense of science as, a, as the m- method of material inquiry. That's a political and philosophical and ethical and yes, Chris, religious question because it gets down to the question of what are we? What is a human being? Do we have any kind of dignity? Are we made in the image of God? If so, then that implies certain things. That's why we don't That's why we have laws against murder. That's why we have due process. That's why we have civilization. That's why we treat one another with respect. If we're not, if we're just bags of flesh, and really there's no difference between me and my microphone right now, we're all just stuff, then yeah, there's no reason 
that you shouldn't be able to kill a baby, but there's no reason that you shouldn't be able to kill anyone else on the street either. So yes, there are, there absolutely is a religious aspect to this question, but these people just can't get it. And actually the reason he brings in race here, I know it seems like a non sequitur when he says it's the white fright, light bite, sibidi boop bop bite. The reason he brings up race in this question has nothing to do with race. Actually, the only way that it has to do with race is that many more black babies are killed through abortion. So the pro-lifers, if anything, are fighting for racial justice, but I'm sure that point is lost on him. The reason he brings up race is because in the left's very shallow understanding of ethics and morality, race is, racism is the only bad thing. And the physical is the only, only thing that they can quite grasp. So we, we have to take sin, fallenness, or broken human nature and just reduce it to, okay, skin color, white supremacy, racism, bad. So any, any bad thing has to be racist. Doesn't make a lot of sense. It's not, you know, things run deeper than just the skin. But if you want your skin to be feeling really good, if you want to feel hydrated, I would strongly recommend checking out Liquid IV. When you push your body hard, when you just feel run down, it's extremely important to stay hydrated. Making hydration a priority helps us feel healthier on a day-to-day basis. Some people need to be hydrated because they're working out and exercising. Some of us, maybe it's because we went out with the boys and had a couple Coca-Colas the night before and now we're paying for it. Well, Liquid IV can provide two to three times more hydration than water alone. Made with clean ingredients, non-GMO, vegan, free of gluten, dairy, and soy, it's the perfect balance to help you hydrate more quickly and effectively than water alone. Go check these guys out. It's really, really great stuff. Every time we get a shipment of Liquid IV in, the producers steal all of them. So I can't, I try to steal my favorite flavors, you know, but they, they will just take all of them. That's how popular they are. Head on over. You can get Liquid IV in bulk nationwide at Costco, or you can get 25% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code Michael at checkout. 25% off anything you order when you get better hydration today using promo code Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L at liquidiv.com. So you have Chris Cuomo pushing racial beat poetry on CNN, and then you've got Tweedledum over there, <laughs> the, the other side of the coin on CNN, uh, also pushing these racial issues, but he wants to counteract a, a Republican talking point, a conservative right-wing boogeyman. You've heard about it. You've heard about it on this show. Critical race theory. And Don Lemon, he's going to debunk critical race theory with facts and logic. Okay, that's the plan. Take it away, Don. You've probably heard the attacks on critical race theory, but what exactly is it and why are some people so opposed to it? Here's CNN's Jason Carroll. Critical race theory is a Marxist doctrine that rejects the vision of Martin Luther King Jr. Absolutely false. It's basically teaching kids to hate our country and to hate each other based on race. False and slanderous. Meet professor and scholar Kimberly Crenshaw. Crenshaw is one of the founders of critical race theory. To be clear, critical race theory does not say someone is racist because of the color of their skin. And it does not say anyone should be ashamed of themselves because of the color of their skin. It is, quote, rooted in critical race theory, which is rooted in Marxism. Rooted in Marxism. Why is this so triggering for them? Why is this so triggering? Why? (laughs) Come on. Why? 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 It it is very difficult to succinctly go through every single false statement they made there because it's basically the totality of the segment. 
So let's just begin where we left off. Don Lemon laughing at this idea that critical race theory is rooted in Marxism. Critical race theory derives from critical theory. Critical theory is a much broader pseudo academic discipline. It was developed in the 1930s. Critical race theory is one of the derivations of that pushed largely by Kimberly Crenshaw as being extraordinarily dishonest in that clip. You'll notice she says it's false. What Trump said is false. What DeSantis said is false, but she doesn't quite explain how it's false. Even as she goes on, she never addresses quite how it's false. Critical race theory comes from critical theory. Critical theory was developed by the Frankfurt School in the 1930s. The Frankfurt School was a group of Marxist intellectuals, and you don't need to take my word for it. You can read it in their writings, but you don't even need to read it in their writings because the Frankfurt School was initially called the Institute for Marxism. <laughs> and then they left Germany. They come to the United States. They push this, this discipline. The discipline is predicated on a line from Marx, a, a line that Marx wrote to Ruga, which is that he called for the ruthless criticism of all that exists. And the critical theorists came out and said, okay, we're going to apply this critical lens to all of society. And, and the purpose for this was to uh, attain what another neo-Marxist scholar, Antonio Gramsci, called uh, cultural hegemony, to, to crack the common sense because the ordinary people, you know, the, the proletariat, the workers of the world that were supposed to unite in the Marxian revolution did not unite because they didn't care very much for leftist theories because they liked their traditions and their way of life. And the critical theorist said, okay, well, if, if we want to be able to crack all of that, we need to apply a ruthlessly critical lens to that ordinary way of life. So obviously it is Marxist. I don't know. Don Lemon probably doesn't know that, but if he does know that, then he's being extraordinarily dishonest. To give Kim Crenshaw credit here, what she said was, no, critical race theory doesn't say that you're racist because of the color of your skin. And it, it does, it does say that. But I guess the way she can get away with what she said is critical race theory just says that everything is racist, everything. And she later even sort of admits this. She says, you know, the systems are racist. The institutions are racist. Okay. Well, if everything's racist and we are all steeped in this racism and the racism is white supremacy, then yes, certainly one is racist by virtue of the color of one's skin, or, or rather just by existing. It's not even just that white people are racist. It's that everybody in some ways pushes anti-black racism, which she believes is the foundation of the country. And so if the, if the heart of the country, if the beating heart of the United States and the civilization is evil and wicked, what does that imply? It doesn't take a genius to say, you've got to rip it down and you've got to start over and you've got to burn it to the ground like BLM did for six months last year. I don't understand how this wasn't a refutation of critical race theory in any way. Don Lemon just had people standing very seriously and said, this critical race theory isn't bad, but I can't tell. What is it? Is, is the argument that critical race theory is not being taught in schools or is the argument that critical race theory is not a Marxist radical ideology seeking to upend the country? Or are you are you granting that second part, but you're saying that's actually a good thing? I think it's the latter. I think it's the third version of that, which is, yeah, critical race theory is exactly what Republicans are saying that it is, but that's good, <laughs> right? Because they're the ones saying, yeah, we should pull down statues of not just Robert E. Lee, but Thomas Jefferson. Yeah, we should get rid of our traditions in this country. Yeah, the, the history of the country is horrible. We need, we need a revolution. We need, in the words of Barack Obama, we need to fundamentally transform America. Michael, did you bring up Barack Obama? You can't, that's racist to criticize Barack Obama. 
That's a real, that's a real point that the left makes. They say that it is racist to oppose Barack Obama. And they didn't just say that during the heat of the 2008 campaign. Another knucklehead on CNN, Fareed Zakaria, came out just yesterday and said that GOP opposition to Barack Obama, the conservative opposition to the most leftist president from at least Wilson up until his time, and, and probably including Wilson, was solely based on racism. It was, of course, race, the issue that Republicans had happily exploited that would finally push the party to the edge. A black president in the White House triggered a dramatic response. Afro-Leninism coming to you on a silver platter. Barack Hussein Obama. The rise of the Tea Party movement was supposed to be a response to Obamacare. But in reality, it was mostly a response to Obama's race. Obama's election was a trigger. This president, I think, has exposed himself as a guy over and over and over again who has a deep-seated hatred for white people. The base began not only to hate Obama. What is wrong with this president? But to despise GOP leaders for being unable to stop him. Yeah, yeah, I, that, that's it, right? It's not, it had nothing to do with Barack Obama saying that he wanted to fundamentally transform the country, which is an admission that he hates the country. You don't fundamentally transform things that you love. When you're lying next to your sweetie at night, you don't say, mm, honey, hey, sweetheart, I can't wait to fundamentally transform you. You don't do that. You, you want to keep things that you love basically as they are, maybe improve them here or there, but you know, you, you love them. <laughs> If you want to fundamentally change it, you don't love it. When Michelle Obama comes out and says the first time she was ever proud of her country as an adult was when it elected her husband, that reveals an antipathy for the country. When Barack Obama comes in and says, we're going to transform education, we're going to transform energy, we're going to, we're going to save the planet. My election is going to save the planet. That's how transformative it's going to be. That put a lot of people on edge. I mean, the Tea Party, for goodness sakes. It's funny in that, that first clip there, they said it's about white men. And if you look, there were, I don't know, there were about five or six people in the, in the frame, but one of them is obviously not a white guy. And so I don't know, they got off that frame really quickly. I guess they couldn't find a totally white one. And then they go on and they show, you know, some, somebody, I guess, making some comment about Afro something or other. And so they're saying it's all about race. I was at a ton of Tea Party rallies in 2010, 2009, that, that era. My complaint about the Tea Party is that it was so focused on economic issues. <laughs> I actually wish it were based more on cultural issues, issues like immigration, issues like even pro-life, issues like the defense of marriage. But it was it was a very, very narrowly economic movement. It was against Obamacare. And then it, it was also, it also opposed the deficit spending, which is important. Obviously you got to focus on that a little bit too. Focused on jobs. It just, it, it's an alternate reality that CNN is presenting here. And the reason they're doing it is they have no arguments against the conservatives other than to malign us as, you know, vicious, misogynists, racists, or whatever. And I, I'm not even saying that you can't, <laughs> if you're going to make the accusation, you should at least defend it. But if you've got a, a real problem with what the GOP is doing, I think it would behoove you to make 
to, to attack the strongest argument that the GOP is making. That's what, that is what I try to do on this show. Maybe I don't always succeed, but I do think that I am attacking the best arguments that the left is making or the honest arguments that the left doesn't want to make. But they don't do that for us because I guess they just don't have an answer for it. The masks are coming off. That's what I think. That's what Ben's talking about today. He's going to talk about the public health pseudo experts. I'll also talk a little bit about Israel. It's hard to talk at all these days because the politically correct woke culture has left us all speechless, which is the title of my upcoming book. Head on over to speechlessbook.com to pre-order your copy today. Or if you want an extra special personal touch, you can text speechless to 53445 to pre-order a signed copy. Do not wait. Pre-order your copy today. Understand the PC police better than they understand themselves. Understand where the conservatives went wrong and how we can turn it around before it's too late. What's the name of that book? Speechless. Where's the bell? There it is. Okay, good. Speechlessbook.com. We'll be right back with a lot more. Joe Rogan, he's getting into dangerous territory. Joe Rogan, who was a Bernie bro, right? He's not exactly a rock-ribbed conservative, but he's seeing what we're all seeing. He's seeing that in the world of critical race theory and intersectionality and woke politics and a racial caste system being foisted by the left, we are increasingly living in a world in which straight white dudes are not allowed to talk. Joe, I think you made the point beautifully. You can never be woke enough. That's the problem. It keeps going. It keeps right. going further and further and further down the line. And if you get to the point where you capitulate, where you agree to all these demands, it will eventually get to straight white men are not allowed to talk. Right. Because it's your privilege to express yourself when other people of color have been silenced throughout history. It, it will be you're not allowed to go outside because so many people were imprisoned for so many years. I mean, I'm not joking. No, I know, I know. It really will get there. It's that crazy. You yeah. know, we just got to be nice to each other, man. And th there's a lot of people that are taking advantage of this weirdness in our culture, and then that becomes their thing. Their thing is calling people out for their privilege, calling people out for their position. He's obviously right. I mean, we're already told this. We, we are already told that certain people are not allowed, that... Uh, it's not just certain people, straight white men are not allowed to voice their opinion on certain issues. And it, it goes back further even than the woke BLM craziness. It goes back on the issue of abortion. We're told men are not allowed to have an opinion on abortion. Um, I'm pretty sure they are. First of all, very often it's men who state that opinion. <laughs> they say, oh, you know, I'm a liberal man and I think that men should just be quiet about abortion. Like, okay, buddy, take your own advice and shut up then. <laughs> <laughs> because I do have, here's my, here's my crazy, outrageous, patriarchal opinion. Uh, killing babies is bad. It's bad. It's always bad and you shouldn't do it ever. Even if it's a, like a crying baby, even, <laughs> even if that baby, you know, is kind of sometimes, you know, it's four in the morning, you hear that baby crying. Well, even then, that's my opinion. I am a human being. I have faculties of reason. I am a citizen of this country. I participate in the body politic. And so, yeah, I'm allowed to have that opinion. I'm allowed to voice it. And 
frankly, that opinion should carry the day and everybody else should listen to that opinion and recognize that that is the correct opinion. Okay. But we're told, no, you're not allowed to have that opinion. We're increasingly told that uh, white people, specifically white men, are not allowed to voice an opinion on BLM or police brutality or whatever, because we have not had the lived experience of whatever, you know, people who, who have experienced the cops pulling them over. By the way, I've been pulled over by cops plenty of times because I have a little bit of a lead foot, but no, it doesn't matter. Well, my skin is kind of swarthy. It doesn't matter. Not swarthy enough. You don't have the lived experience. And of course, at the heart of this is a radical subjectivism, which says you don't have faculties of reason. Actually, critical race theory says this. You don't have faculties of reason. You can't rely on them. You can't know anything about the objective world. All you can know is the reality of your own subjective suffering. And by the way, you white guys have never suffered. Well, how do you know about the reality of my subjective suffering? <laughs> if, you're, if you're telling me we can't, okay, you can know, but I can't know. Okay, understood. We are already being told this sort of thing. And there, there's another irony here. We're told that white supremacy pervades the whole country and it's based on white supremacy. Pew Research did a, a survey a couple years back of racial consciousness, asked people, how, it, how important is your race to your identity? For every racial group other than white people, most respondents said that race is either very or extremely important to their sense of identity. For white people, the number was 15%. So you've got, you've got at least so, somewhat important, you know, you've got some level of importance, 50% of every other racial group except for white. White people have the lowest racial identity by far of anybody in the country, which is why we're so shocked. And that's why we, we get offended when they call us racist. But it's, it, as Joe Rogan is saying here, it's just an exploitation. It's a, an emotional sort of exploitation. We're talking a lot about immunity and inoculations and things these days. I am pleased to report that I am completely immune to white guilt. I just don't feel it. It's not, I, I'm immune to male guilt. I'm in, pretty soon we're going to have straight guilt. I'm immune to that too. I just don't feel it. If you do feel that in any way, it is because you are buying into the leftist vision of the world, which is perverse and anti-historical and wicked and wrong. And you just got to get shut of it, lose it, throw it out the window, and things will make a bit more sense. Twitter proved Joe Rogan right this week when Twitter suspended a Spanish politician for pointing out that men cannot get pregnant. We were talking about this earlier because the, because the, the actual strong are strong. I put in, in quotes, the strong argument for abortion is that men and women are different because, because only women can get pregnant. They should be able to kill their kids. That's, that's it. That's what it comes down to. Right. And, uh, but that argument requires the acknowledgement that men can't get pregnant, but then the transgender ideology demands that we pretend that men can get pregnant. So anyway, this Spanish politician, his name is Francisco Jose Contrera. He's the deputy leader of Vox, which is a, a right-wing party in the country. Uh, he said that a man cannot get pregnant. A man has no uterus or eggs. And Twitter suspended him for 12 hours because of hateful conduct. He's a white man. <laughs> he was not, you know, a little swarthy like me, but uh, not allowed to make just a perfectly obvious statement of fact. Because when that reality contradicts the delusions of the leftist worldview, the leftist worldview will win out. Why? Because the left has engaged 
through the machinations of the Western Marxists, the intellectuals who led to political correctness and wokeness and cancel culture and the war of position that the brilliant communist theorist Antonio Gramsci called for hundred years ago, because that has worked, it's worked very well and they've attained positions of influence, uh, they're able to exercise that, th- those levers of power. There's a flip side to this though. We're told that if you do not tell a little girl that she's a little boy, that you're hateful, you're bigoted, you're awful, you're terrible, you're harming her, you're probably going to kill her, she's probably going to commit suicide, you awful bigot. You know, there's a flip side to this story though. As these perverts in the mainstream media and in politics and in education are convincing little kids to castrate themselves and to pump themselves full of cross-sex hormones, and people are transitioning through this social contagion, there's an increasing number of people who are detransitioning because they realize that these sickos, these psychos have gotten them to mutilate their bodies against their own best interests. There was a TikTok going around. So much of the trans ideology gets spread on TikTok. (laughs) It's it's really short, quippy videos that that, uh, very often leftist teenagers and young adults will just spout nonsense on. Well, this was the best TikTok I ever saw. It looks like a young man is in the frame. You know, you're kind of like a scrawny young man, but still a young man. And uh, he says, hi, I've gone by the name Matthew Matt for the past three years. He's shaving in the window, right? But a few weeks ago, I found God again. Okay. He hit me out of left field and completely rocked my world. Peep the cool hair my BFF did for me. It's like a, a cross on the back. God reminded me of his love for me the love I had lost sight of through the years. Now he's putting makeup on. I started to see things in a new light, things I hadn't thought about. Now you realize, wait a second, he might not be a he. Little makeup on the eyes. Then he knit me together in my mother's womb exactly the way he wanted me to be, referring to God. And because of this realization, I'm detransitioning and retransitioning into the woman that God intended for me to be. Feels weird. I'm excited for this new journey, a little anxious too. But through my anxiety, I know I have God by my side. And then you see, it's a girl. It's a girl sitting there. Pretty girl. That's a great feeling. Wow. Isn't that great? This is a feel-good video. (laughs) This is, you actually get a little choked up about it. Because you, you see this person who looks somewhat androgynous in the beginning of the video. Very shortly cropped hair. You know, men's clothing, no makeup, and not really smiling, sort of shaving, even though there's no hair to shave. And then by the end, you see, oh, someone with makeup looks more like a girl. So it's, it is a gen, it's a tr- gender transition, just like the left tells us we should be able to do. And yet the left will not applaud that video. We are told that you should be able to change your sex however, however you please. But something tells me they're not going to applaud that idea that a girl who believed for some period that she was like a boy, you know, a tomboy or something, or a little, little more masculine, that that girl would then recognize that, wait a second, God did make me how, how he wanted to make me. But actually I am who, who I am. I am a girl. I am, even though maybe I, this is a fallen world, so I felt a little weird, but I, I am actually a girl. This, this argument you sometimes hear, God doesn't make mistakes. This was an argument in the gay rights movement decades ago, and now it's an argument in the transgender 
movement, but it it doesn't quite work as well in the transgender movement, right? Because if you say, okay, God doesn't make mistakes, right? You're a girl. Well, no, but I think I'm a boy, right? But God doesn't make mistakes. I I don't think that the God doesn't make mistakes is natural, exactly the best argument in a fallen world, because the fact is that sin and death pervade the world because of original sin. But if you're going to use that argument, it, it surely does not work on this transgender issue. I suspect you're going to see more of this. And I suspect for any parents out there who are, or teachers out there who are supporting this vicious, evil ideology of transgenderism, which is just a rehashing of the same old Gnostic heresies that you saw in Manichaeism, that you saw in Albigensianism, that you saw in Marcionism. There are a lot, a lot of isms here, folks, going back thousands of years. It's not as the, I know that we like to think in this modern world that we're the first people to ever think of anything, but we're not. These (laughs) smarter people than you and I have hashed out these ideas before, but because our education is so degraded now, we, we do not really have the access to to these thoughts before we make big mistakes. I think you're going to see a lot of this. And I think you're going to see a lot of resentment from people who were pushed by perverts and idiots into mutilating and destroying their bodies at a very young age, below the age of consent, before they had developed their faculties of reason. And woe to the parents and the educators who indulge this kind of insanity. Young girls fall for this nonsense because the media push radical propaganda. Among other things, the educators as well, the politics as well. There's been a lot of talk over the past few days over Israel's decision to blow up that Associated Press building in the Gaza Strip. Now, I've told you, I'm going to refrain from making jokes about a government blowing up a press building because, you know, look, we support freedom of the press and journalism and the great heroes. Okay. Okay. Sure. I'm not even being particularly facetious. But this does raise a question. If the Associated Press is just a journalistic outlet and they're the defenders of the free government, and the free world, and democracy dies in darkness, why were they sharing a building with Hamas? Why were they sharing a building with a terrorist organization? Tom Cotton, Senator Cotton, asked that very question just yesterday. I must observe, why is the Associated Press sharing a building with Hamas? Surely these intrepid reporters knew who their neighbors were. Did they knowingly allow themselves to be used as human shields by a U.S.-designated terrorist organization? Did the AP pull its punches and decline to report for years on Hamas's misdeeds? I submit that the AP has some uncomfortable questions to answer. Yet the AP and its fellow journalists are in high dudgeon about Israel's wholly appropriate airstrike. Leave it to whiny reporters to make themselves the story and the victim when terrorists are shooting missiles at innocent civilians. Such a great point, because what you see Senator Cotton does here is he undercuts the AP's only defense. The only defense the IP can make here is, well, we didn't know. They could just play dumb, right? They said, what are you talking? I had no idea that Hamas was running a major operation out of our building. Now, for other organizations, playing dumb in this regard might work. If, if uh, Israel blew up the ice cream shop building, 
They could say, we didn't know Hamas was in here. If they, if they blew up, I don't know, the, the book publishers, or if they blew up the tire store. Oh, what we didn't know. Come on. But if you blow up the reporters, if you blow up the journalists, if you blow up the people who say that they're the greatest investigators sniffing out truth and their greatest defense is, yeah, we had no idea terrorists were two floors down. Well, then you say, well, you don't sound like particularly good journalists, do you? But obviously the AP knew. There is no question in my mind. I don't have the, I don't have the evidence, but I got a lot of circumstantial evidence. Of course the AP knew, but they were cozying up. Of course they knew Hamas, they were the sources for goodness sakes. There's a bigger question. Why did the AP even have an office in Gaza? Because our intrepid journalists, the fourth estate, the objective reporters are pushing propaganda. It's not just the Associated Press that's pushing propaganda from enemies of our allies and of our country. Bloomberg, Mike Bloomberg, the former future president. Remember Mike Bloomberg, mayor of New York, zillionaire, financial media mogul and media mogul more broadly. It is now being reported by Breitbart. Alex Marlowe Breitbart has just written a book about this. Uh, Bloomberg and his uh, top associates at his news conglomerate, Bloomberg LP, have regularly met in recent years in Beijing with top Chinese Communist Party officials. Now, this is according to the Chinese government. Just a little bit to give you a sense of the timeline. August 19th, 2015, Bloomberg Mike himself, the man, meets with Zhang Zhangguo, who's the director of the State Council Information Office and deputy director of the publicity department of the Communist Party of China. So we're talking about the actual propaganda leaders in the country. He meets with them to discuss, quote, international exchange and cooperation in the field of media. Uh, later on, a few months later, Bloomberg LP Global Exec uh, VP uh, Kevin Shiki meets with Zhang as well as Zhang Fuhai and Zhang Hongbin, uh, who are the uh, Director General and Deputy Director General of the SCIO Internet Affairs Bureau, so the propaganda arm here specifically on the internet. Uh, Shiki then became Mike Bloomberg's campaign manager for that ill-fated 2020 presidential run. Many, many, many meetings over the years. This is not low-level staffers. This is not just meeting with apparatchiks from the Chinese government to facilitate certain corporate access or business deals. This is the heads of the media group meeting with the heads of China's propaganda industry. That is the kind of intrepid, wonderful, objective, hard-hitting, speak-truth-to-power reporting that we're getting from one of the largest media organizations in the world, from Bloomberg. Why do we believe this stuff? Why do we take this seriously? There, there are alternative media. If you're listening to this program, obviously you're, you're tuning into some alternative media. And the alternative media do fairly well. You know, every, so, every, every news cycle or so, you'll find that uh, right-wing media, Daily Wire or Dan Bongino or a few other people, they do well on Facebook according to certain metrics. According to other metrics, not really. But according to some, you know, we'll get stories that get shared or something. So you say, okay, there's no big deal. The, the left, they've got their media and they meet with the co- Chinese Communist Party. And the right, we've got our media and we post some stories to Facebook. So come on, it's the same thing. Even if, even if the Daily Wire is the top performer ever of all time on Facebook, which it's not, but we still do very well on Facebook. 
That's one outlet. Dan Bongino, okay, that's two outlets, two relatively small outlets compared to NBC, ABC, CBS, the Washington Post, the Associated Press, CNN, MSNBC, the New York Times, the LA Times, the on and on and on, NPR, PBS, on and on and on. There's no comparison. We, we think we're doing great over here. We, lo- we got all our great listeners. We got all our great readers. Yeah, we're doing great in conservative media. But the left controls the media and they're pushing a lot of very harmful propaganda. Speaking of propaganda, I think while the media establishment are, are doing a good job for the Dems, Biden himself not doing a great job. Biden has a message now, okay? It's a message about how to break out of the lockdowns, and the message is simple. Vax or mask. It's vaxxed or masked. <laughs> That's it. That's the whole video. Vaxxed or masked. Do, is that, does that rhyme? No, no. It's, it's actually, it's like a, almost a near rhyme, so it's even kind of weirder and more annoying. What does that mean? Vaxxed or masked? I'm neither right now, and I feel great, and I've been neither for <laughs> the whole time, and I, I feel awesome. This reminds me of when Puff Daddy did that stupid vote or die thing. It's like, vote or die. You got vote or die. Like, um, I'm pretty sure there's a third option unless you're, unless this is a criminal threat. <laughs> I, what if I just do neither? <laughs> what if I just hang out? Is that cool? Vaxxed or mask or die or vote. <laughs> no, not, not very persuasive. Not persuading a whole lot of Americans. By the way, by the way, this, our other propaganda minister here in the United States, Dr. Fauci, has come out and admitted once again that he lied, admitted once again that he misled the American people. Remember, we were told you, by Dr. Fauci, you have to wear the masks. Even after you're vaccinated, you have to do it. And you say, well, what's the point of getting the vaccine if I have to wear the masks? After? No, you have to. And then they realized no one was going to get the vaccine because if your life's not going to change, why would I shoot myself full of this hastily developed inoculation if I don't even get any, if I don't get any political benefit for it? And he says, okay, actually you can take the mask off. He was just asked, well, what happened here? He said, well, it was basically political theater. I'm obviously careful because I mean, I'm a physician and a healthcare provider. I am now much more comfortable in, in people seeing me indoors without a mask. I mean, before the CDC made the recommendation change, I didn't want to look like I was giving mixed signals. But being a fully vaccinated person, the chances of my getting infected in an indoor setting is extremely low. And that's the reason why in indoor settings now, I feel comfortable about not wearing a mask because I'm fully man, I'm fully vaccinated. Yes, I wore the mask and also told all you stupid sheep to wear the mask even though I knew you didn't have to and it was total nonsense because I wanted to shill for the CDC because I'm a doctor. I'm a doctor. When was the last time Dr. Fauci saw a patient? How many patients does this guy see a week? He's not a doctor. He's a politician who has medical expertise, but he's a politician. Political theater. So if he's thrown away his credibility, why should we believe him? Why should we follow these guys? The Associated Press palling around with terrorists. Why should we listen to them? The leftists on CNN arguing against positions that we do not hold 
in, very often just spreading outright lies like Don Lemon did on critical race theory. Why should we listen to them? Why do they have any authority? Leftist politicians, Claire McCaskill saying that we just want to punish rape victims or something. Why do we listen to this? Why do, we have no obligation to engage in a bad faith debate. We have no obligation to pay any heed to people who have acknowledged their own bad faith and squandered their credibility, like the Fauci's of the world and the other technocrats. None. I know it, there's something about the conservative movement, quote unquote, of the last 20 years where we think, no, we just, we've got the free marketplace of ideas and we've got to engage in the ideas will always win. No, we have no, there is no reason whatsoever to deal on the level with people who are acting in bad faith, not a chance. Uh, if, show me the good faith argument, please show me one. And I'd love to engage with it. But other than that, if, assuming you can't, we need to exercise our political power. I'm Michael Knowles. This is the Michael Knowles Show. I'll see you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Clavin Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup by Nika Geneva. And production coordinator, McKenna Waters. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Today on The Ben Shapiro Show, public health pseudo-experts and their political allies are unmasked as the real science deniers. The Andrew Brown case comes apart, and the radical left's mask comes off when it comes to winking at anti-Semitism. That's today on The Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen. Mm-hmm. 